What's up, everyone? We hope you survived a weekend of divisional round games and all of the uh, the fallout therein, which we'll talk about as we go here on a live Splash Play. I'm Chris Spaggs, joined once again by your friend and mine. You know him, you love him. He's Peter Overzet. How are you doing, Pete? I'm doing good, man. Doing good. Um, you know, not as tilting of a weekend as last weekend. So I feel like I'm in a better, uh, you know, mental health space today, which is always a, a win. And uh, yeah, although getting a little sad this morning, I did my review realizing that was like the last good GPP slate of, of the year. It's It's hard to say goodbye. Yeah, we got one more two gamer coming up next weekend. And as we've talked about on here, we're running through the Super Bowl, giving you guys previews, hopefully having some quality guests uh, this week. We're looking to have our pal Sal Vetri back for our last multi-game slate of the year. But make sure you guys, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button and subscribe. We, Pete, actually, this is kind of funny. I don't know if you get the notifications because of the Splash Play account um, and the way the email works and all that. But uh, we passed 500 subscribers over the weekend, and now we're back down under it. So I don't know <laughs> if we had some, uh, maybe some MAGA types who got suspended on YouTube or people just got sick of us after watching the episode that was so great with Justin Freeman uh, the other day. I, I don't get it, Pete, but it, it hurts to see that email. Now we're back at 497. <laughs> that's uh, that's quite the tease there. I can't believe they did that. And by the way, did you see Justin Freeman's big hit yesterday? No, I didn't. He Did he have a good weekend? He finished third in the Millie for 100K. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Honestly, is that can we claim that as part of our many mo uh, millionaire maker yes. winners? I feel like it's close enough. It is. I mean, uh, I like here. I'll actually pull up his um his lineup here. He had um he had this tweet. Yeah, he finished third in the millie. Obviously, the brutal payout structure. Um, you know, third place, one tenth of first. But I mean, super sick lineup here. Mahomes, Darrell Williams, Tyreek, and Kelsey used Leonard Fournette. And uh, Darrell cheap got in digs and uh, Lazard and Brait as the double flex cheap punt tight end to unlock it all. Uh, 182.7 points. Nothing better than seeing a lineup that makes a lot of sense that you were on all of these guys if you're MMEing and just none of them come together in the lineup. But you know, Justin was so sharp. Well, I have to say real fast, you have to give a quick shout out to Justin, as you can see on the screen at Justin Freeman 18, a uh, guy doing a lot of work at his own site, cptspot.com, doing some Pat Mayo videos. I think uh, doing also number ball. Number, it's number ball, right? I always mix yeah. up the sites. Number fires the Fandle one. Yes. Yes. Okay. So number ball. And uh, yeah, Justin was great on the show. And I guess that's what happens here. You come on splash play, you do a good job and you get rewarded with tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, uh, man, this is a sh super sharp lineup. Like you said, I saw all of these players like, you know, as, as best plays, top plays, Cameron Brait being the kind of one um, super far out there guy. It is also shocking to see ownership differences in the milli versus the small field. Like Darrell Williams was like 10 to 15% and most of mine, 2% in the milli maker. Like what a jam at that ownership. Yeah, there were some weird quirks with the slate. And I guess, you know, let's start talking about it now. Again, we're going to go through everything here. We're going to talk about our ride or die picks, which Pete, uh, we have, we set one record this weekend uh, that we have not yet accomplished. So I'll tease it out a little bit, but what are your overall thoughts here? Because I feel like to me, one thing that jumped out was ownership was all over the place. As you just mentioned, the, the two day slate in particular, Kareem Hunt being almost 50% owned, Le'Veon Bell still found a way to get to 20% while the aforementioned Darrell Williams was single digit ownership in pretty much every large field tournament there were some weird things but i feel like the hunt ownership was the one i just didn't get at all like i know he's coming off a big day but that's a lot of people playing a guy who was not the lead back and and standing to have a downturn day after the big results 
Yeah, there were there were a couple that really stood out to me. Austin Hooper getting up to 50% yeah. seemed crazy. I, I do think he was, you know, one of the best points per dollar plays, but I mean, we know how fragile tight end. So a guy to eclipse, you know, 50% is wild. And then the other one that surprised me, and this one was kind of all over the place, depending on the contest, but like in the spy, Alvin Kamara was 25% owned. And this was like the guy, once you removed, we kind of knew that Latavius and Taysom Hill were trending doubtful. And so to get him with that full workload, like on a main slate, he would have been like 40% owned in that spot. And I realized there were lots of good players to pay up for, but that ownership shocked me too. And we did see another zero, uh, another infamous zero, which killed me uh, for the same logic that Pete just mentioned with Alvin Kamara, where you'd assume no Taysom Hill, uh, you know, no Latavius Murray. Got to have those goal line touches go somewhere. Have to have that production go somewhere. Kamara, a safe beneficiary, one would think. And Michael Thomas, I, I think the Drew Brees retirement story is the big one, but Michael Thomas putting up a zero for zero on four targets. I, I did not see that coming. He still had 44 snaps, so he was out there more than Emmanuel Sanders, who had more targets and a better game. And uh, he was shadowed by Carlton Davis for most of the game. He, Davis moved around a little, then got hurt, but really not good defense against Thomas either. And a uh, goose egg of that stature uh, in this big of a spot. I know Michael Thomas has had a down year, but I really thought he'd pull through in the end. And I can't believe he gave us the, the John Brown from the previous week, the Ronald Jones from the previous week, a flat zero for a guy who last year was good for what? 30 fantasy points on a given week. Yeah, that was Incredible. I had never heard of Carlton Davis before yesterday, but apparently he has Michael Thomas's number. Obviously, Drew Brees throwing three, three picks didn't help the situation as far as getting them more opportunities. But yeah, he used to be the guy you would figure with those guys out. No Latavius, no Taysom. It's Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. They're going to move the offense. You did have some weird quirky stuff like Jameis Winston coming in and throwing a trick pass to Traquan Smith. So everything was a little off, but the zero, man, that is that's bizarre. I think we have to ask the question, do you think he stays in New Orleans now? Because after you get in a fight with a teammate who admittedly Courtney Garter Johnson has uh, done a lot to agitate people on the opposing teams throughout the year. So uh, just a punchable dude, I guess, in general. But I feel like Michael Thomas, I, I don't know how he comes back. I think they have to definitely rehab the situation a little bit with him because, I mean, you could imagine a guy like Thomas who's kind of surly, kind of mercurial. And Drew Brees has you know, looked for him time and time again. Brees hurt this year, clearly affected going into this game, I think, if that's what we want to blame, other, either that or old age. But like, if you're Thomas, I mean, do you even want to come back? Because this is like such a high profile bust and, and just a complete no show that I almost feel like you don't want him back in the locker room because there's gotta be something else here for why a guy puts up a zero completely. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, Michael Thomas has been one of the more, I don't know what the word is, mercurial figures in the league. You know, someone that thinks very, very highly of himself has been known to get in these scuffles with teammates on Twitter. He's the guy that responds to all the comments on Instagram. He runs very hot. So you throw in this, you know, bad loss here. You got Drew Brees, um, likely retiring. Um, he does seem like a guy who would like a change of scenery. He's probably over there also looking at DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, he got out of Texans, now playing with Kyler Murray. Stefan Diggs gets out of uh, Minnesota, now playing with Josh Allen. So I could definitely see him looking to move on for greener pastures. Yeah, I think there's some something to watch there with him, even though he just signed, I think they signed that extension last season. Uh, it's going to be uh, an interesting spot to watch with Michael Thomas and see if he if he does make a move here because I, I just it's hard to imagine a star player like that. Also, the, the most ironic, ins uh, like I guess Instagram too, Twitter and Instagram, his handles can't guard Mike. And uh, he was easily guarded Mike should be the pivot for next year just to, you know, get, get a little self-deprecating.
Yeah, I mean, I feel like once you make that your Twitter handle, you were just begging for that to become the de facto joke anytime you have a bad game. Uh, and yeah, and the, the thing is, too, is like, he's not he's not like a super speed guy, right? He's like the technician working in the short areas of the field where it's like, no, I, I guess people can kind of guard you. <laughs> you know, it's not like you have this game breaking speed. So I don't know, maybe he changes the Twitter handle. Yeah, one next-gen stat that I looked up, just to compare this year to, to last year for Michael Thomas, and it's a smaller sample size, but uh, yards uh, separation distance is always, I think, an interesting stat to look at, and uh, it's on the next-gen stats page. If you go there, uh, one of the ones that's easy to find. And last year, he was at 2.5 yards of separation when he was targeted. This year, 2.4. So it's like the exact same thing. There's really no appreciable reason besides, I guess, just not wanting it more or Drew Brees being a little more timid to throw into those tight spots, and, and that's a good reason we can segue into this next one. Drew Brees, I put it in our segment sheet, Pete, limp Limping into retirement, a 19 for 34, 134 yard, three INT, one touchdown game. The other touchdown went to Jameis Winston in the past game. And uh, I just honestly didn't think you could possibly look worse here. And if you're going to go out, I feel like going out, you know, on the sword is normally what you want to do. But I think Drew Brees just had this look all year. Granted, when you what break nine ribs, you're probably not going to be the most motivated. But he's had the look of just the guy who's like, I'm getting too old for this shit. And now it looks like he's heading to NBC and retirement. Yeah. Um, you know, I give him a little bit of credit because he, some of these guys, I feel like Brady might be the guy that continues to try to push it and keep playing a little bit more. I feel like Breeze is getting out at the right time. You know, it, he finally, we see it happen quick. It happened with Peyton Manning where it's just, they go from having it to not having it so quickly. And I feel like that's what we've seen with Breeze down here. Really not a lot of excuses with how good the defense is, the offensive line, solid, decent weapons, and to not be able to get it done at home against what I still think is a kind of fraudulent Tampa Bay Bucks team. That's pretty damning. And uh, I think he's, he's right to uh, wave the white flag here and move on. Yeah, Tampa Bay, you know, all year they, they've been a pass funnel team. We've talked about it a lot where, you know, they they do defend the run pretty well. They Because some changes they made last year, uh, Sue being the big change in the middle that I think has really trickled down everything else. But Devin White being back in, like you saw during the game, a lot of guys coming up to stop the run. But despite all that, they were still giving up 250 passing yards a game all year and have been prone to some big blowouts or big blow ups where they've just gotten killed in the past and for Breeze to just not get anything going. And it was to the point down the stretch of that game where they're basically just loading the box putting guys up in the line and breeze couldn't even get it downfield at all it, it's just sad and I, I think you know hopefully tom brady hopefully the tv 12 method uh doesn't give us these sad moments but you know drew breeze i feel like is kind of just the case study of a guy who is still accurate for the most part but you get older you get those hits your body just can't take it anymore and all of a sudden you're just a shell of who you are and you're a guy who's like a low a dot qb just afraid to throw the ball 10 yards downfield and that's just not the way you can play football in 2021 2020 yeah, yeah, their offense just looked completely neutered. I mean, it was, it makes sense that the one time they looked explosive is when they took a deep shot downfield, which hasn't really been a part of their offense, that trick play. And now I'm starting to wonder, what would this offense have looked mm -hmm. like if we had Jameis Winston the full season? A guy who obviously the the opposite of Drew Brees when it comes to accuracy, but at least willing to take shots and move the ball downfield. Uh, I hope we get a chance to see him get some starts under his belt again. So that does ask the big question of, you know, of Drew Brees and what we saw when he was out for a few weeks. Taysom Hill wouldn't have been able to play anyway, one would think, with a, the knee issue he had that kept him out. But do you think that Taysom or Jameis would win this game? Because I honestly think Brady didn't look that great. Leonard Fournette looked okay, got the results, but that was really more volume than anything. I really feel like any other QB on their roster, I think they would have won that game.
Yeah, no, I, I'm with you too. I, it, it, we, we talk, uh, I feel like this is the podcast that champions the backup quarterbacks, the guys that come in with no fear and are willing to make plays. And uh, I think that's what Winston and Taysom Hill do. You know, they come in and they might make mistakes, but they're at least going to try to make things happen. And that's something the Saints offense hasn't had in a while. Uh, that's you gave me such a good transition to the the next topic here. Of course, another backup QB you went off, but I'm going to ask you the big question here, which uh, Jameis' status I think we don't really know, and Taysom Hill has been promised a starting role. But if you're New Orleans, you have to make the pick now, Pete. You're the temporary New Orleans GM here. Who are you going with? Are you going with Jameis? Or are you actually going to go with Taysom, knowing that you've paid him, he's older, and this is probably his one shot to start him if you ever are going to start him. Yeah, it's really interesting because they they tried the Taysom Hill experience. It worked decently, but not in like such a smash success way that you're like, oh man, we got to see a full 16 games right. with him. My inclination would be to go to Winston still as the guy that has more of the pocket passing tools that you need. But who knows? Maybe an entire offseason with Taysom Hill, like devoted toward being like an actual pocket passer, getting first team reps, all of that jazz. Maybe he can take the leap. I think it'd be an interesting camp battle at the very least. Yeah, I think that's probably the move is have the competition go into camp and and hopefully you can keep Jameis there. Jameis is, for whatever it's worth, that one pass he had, you know, not stable-footed at all on the move and just a dart to Traquan for that touchdown. I, that's always been Jameis's game. He's going to throw a lot of bad picks as well, along with uh, the, the beautiful bombs that will put out there. But I, I just love Jameis. I always have a soft spot for Jameis after that year he had last year that was defied all sorts of fantasy expectations and what you'd hope and and how we understand the game. It'd be nice to see somebody get a shot here and uh, and see New Orleans fully powered with a big arm QB, but um, going into camp seems like the move. The other game, Pete, that uh, was affected by the backups quite a bit, Patrick Mahomes ends up concussed, and then turns out they said that he was choked out in that play, and that was the issue. He wasn't as concussed as it may have seemed as he was wobbling to get up, and Chad Henney comes in, and Pete, you said it, we love the backup QBs, and Chad Henney, uh, the one pick was brutal, the interception into the end zone that missed his guy by about five yards. I think the play call was just to throw it up and hope that Tyreek can make a play on it, and he just missed them and just threw it a little bit too far. But besides that, the, one of the grittiest performance, I think you could say, and that's sort of become a stereotype people beat into the ground for a guy who just isn't that good, but running the ball, making the little uh, rollout play to Tyreek to clinch the game, I think they could have had a shot next week with Chad Henney. Obviously, you want to see Mahomes back in there, but for a backup QB stepping in, having the bad mistake, and then just erasing that from his brain and getting right back to it, like that's the perfect backup QB performance, You know, the one interception aside. Yeah, I mean, he fits that description of these these backup quarterbacks coming in, taking shots, scrambling there on third and 14, and then the absolute huevos of Andy Reid and him to just trust him to make that throw on fourth and one. I mean, I there's maybe, what, one other coach in the league, maybe two that would have the balls to dial up that play call and trust their backup quarterback to, you know, get that first down. So I love it. I love when people play aggressive, they don't play scared and, um, and yeah, they got it done. And I think there's been points made too about Andy Reid. Yeah, shout out to the chat too. We we just did the show. We we, we last week or on Friday, I was like, yeah, we need to make sure to do no, more notice. And then today I woke up, I was like, fuck, I didn't book this with Pete. <laughs> and also basketball's weird timing because uh, of MLK Day. And of course, uh, make sure you take a moment today. I don't know to think about Martin Luther King. <laughs> it just feels like an important thing to do. An important guy over the course of history, and one that probably could inform a lot of things in 2021. Uh, but that yeah, threw everything for a loop today. So that's my bad. Uh, not booking a time in advance. 
advance and, and get it out there. But we appreciate all of you guys that show up to live chat who also watch the shows after the fact. One of our guys will watch it live after the fact and just comment over the course of a span of a couple of days, just giving his thoughts and chiming in. And we do appreciate that a bunch here, all of you guys engaging with the show and all that. Um, but Pete, I feel like Mahomes, the big story here, expected to come back next week. And uh, is there anything else you want to say about Chad Henney before we talk about that? Because I feel like Chad Henney deserves all the love. He's going to have the T-shirts. But to me, it's more one of those meme moments where it's like, oh, that's the Chad Henney game where he came in and didn't blow it against the Cleveland team who, I, if they won that game, I, we've talked about them all year long. I, I really haven't liked the Cleveland Browns all year. I feel great for the Cleveland fans and what they got, but they did not deserve that win. And if they did win that game and upset a potential Buffalo, Kansas City, AFC title game, I honestly would have never forgiven them. Well, it kind of works both ways, right? Because if you told me it was the options were Bills versus Chad Henney led Chiefs, <laughs> I would prefer Bills versus Baker Mayfield. But if we do get Mahomes back, obviously that is the championship game we all want to see. Yeah, I don't I'm I'm very curious what happened there with Mahomes uh because it looked like the his how wobbly and discombobulated he looked. It you just thought for sure a concussion, but then you watched the replay and you didn't see where his head really got, you know, impacted. So I'm I'm very curious what's going on here. I know he has to go through the concussion protocols, but like the whole choke out thing like I don't know. It just doesn't seem to like add up to how he looked getting up there. He also had the toe injury too. So that was sort of what I thought was maybe, you know, that pain plus you have your body's weak from whatever, whether it be the concussion or I guess, as they said, after the fact that he was choked out and then he passed all the concussion tests apparently yesterday, but they still have the, whatever the rest of the protocol is to make sure that nothing gets worse over the next few days. But yeah, it was, it's one of those things too, where during the, the game, like Jim Nance is like, yeah, if there was, that's a concussion if I've ever seen one. And Tony Romo's like, like, don't, you can't say that uh, because you know, if the guy comes back in, then you kind of make the league look bad. But I, I do feel like there was definitely something weird there. And he he doesn't look like he's at full health going into next week, which with what we saw from Buffalo this week, this defense hasn't been good all year. But they did shut down Lamar in a major way until he got hurt and taken out of that game. I'm a little worried about Mahomes, you know, even if he is you know, passes the concussion protocol and back out there, that toe, like the toe injury, I think we've talked about it throughout this year, but it's an injury that's like worse than the common person like you or I might think. And a lot of athletes talk about those toe injuries being bad and Mahomes clearly was gimping around even before he got hit. Yeah, I know. I saw that. It's, um, you know, the, the nice thing about Mahomes is they can just be like, all right, you're not running, right? You're just going to stay in the pocket. You're going to make plays. Uh, but yeah, it's concerning when these start to add up here. And uh, yeah, it, even if I'm sure there's a psychological aspect too, where the Bills defense is like, okay, we're going into Arrowhead, but we're not playing like tip top shape. Patrick Mahomes like he's definitely banged up and uh you know the Browns kind of showed that there might be a chink in the armor there and uh yeah I just hope we get a, a high scoring game because I feel like we've been deprived of a mega shootout here in the divisional round that we kept waiting for from a DFS perspective and never got it yeah, that was a really high total for that Browns-Kansas City game that ended up falling, I think, about 16 points short of what it was supposed to be. And uh, next week, it seems like Vegas has already adjusted. Uh, we'll talk about the, the previews for next week, the way too early previews, because obviously we haven't had a chance to dig in mu at much depth at all. But a 54-point over-under for Buffalo-Kansas City seems like Vegas being like, yeah, just in case, everything seems to be going to crap every single week. So let's hedge a little and make this lower. But uh, that is the marquee game that we need to see. And Pete, I feel like we have to go now through our ride-or-die pick. Uh, because uh, this is the first time all year long, Pete, we've uh, we've given some weeks where they've been great, some weeks where they haven't been great, some weeks where the guest is crushed. And Pete, we did our picks, and uh, 
none of them were right. Not a single one was correct. <laughs> we went, let me pull it up on the screen here. So we got zero points. Yes, a zero from every from Justin too, who finished third in the Millie Maker. This shows, by the way, uh, the gauntlet that we put down every single week here on Ride or Die Picks. It seems easier than it is where Justin could finish third in the Millionaire Maker and yet uh, a zero, a stone zero for, for Justin as well. Wow. You know what? I wish you and I could have, you know, translated our Ride or Die zeros into third place finishes in the Millie Maker as well. That would have been nice. It would have been a helpful way, a helpful way to to assuage the the hurt that comes from uh, this this terrible performance we had. But the thing is, like, I, because I think the rider dies because we're rewarding the the brave takes. Like, like Tyreek Hill had a great game, but he would have had to have had the monster game of them all to have forty. Mike Evans was trash, so that one I'll fully take. But Devontae Adams too had about as good of a game as you would expect in a against a really good defense. And uh, yeah, there's just no way to get there for any of our picks in hindsight. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to see which one of these were even remotely close. Aaron Jones was close for Justin, uh, almost outscoring Devontae Adams, but you know, just more targets and more catches for Adams got him enough to get there. What Cameron Brate had to have been close, right? So that was the closest. That was one where uh, it was really the issue was Gronk and Jared Cook combined. Yeah, I think combined they beat Cameron Brate by 0.4. Brate had nine. I think those guys combined had 9.4. Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh... That was close. I mean, Tyreek Hill, uh, he could have had um, an even bigger day there. Didn't get the touchdown. So T Kelsey, I think, finished with like 27 or 28 points. So it was ambitious, but uh, we're shooting for 10 pointers here. I mean, if we would have been going for three pointers, I'm sure we would have picked up some points. And the good news is our boy Willis, who helps out with the accounting of this, doesn't really have to change anything with our record <laughs> for the year. Just, just added a zero and we're good to go. Uh, but yeah, a little bit of a, a little bit of a downer. I saw one person like the tweet uh, like late Sunday night, which usually either means that we <laughs> did that really person. well or we did really poorly. And uh, I guess it ended up on the side of poorly. <laughs> do you ever do it? I think I've done it like once all time, but that is such a great genre of a fave. The like passive aggressive four days later, like we were arguing about something and then I'm pulling it back up and I'm not replying to you, but I'm just liking your tweet where you were wrong about something. It's so petty. I kind of love it. It really is. It's, it's one of those things that I, I wouldn't do anymore because you know, Pete and I know having having to fill hours and hours of broadcast time for these streams we do uh, for our various companies we do stuff with. And, uh, you know, you're going to say some things that are not going to be right. The hope is that you're generally going through the process the right way and being smart about it. But it hurts. It hurts. That, like that could be that guy's one exposure. He's like, these fucking idiots couldn't even get one right. <laughs> yeah. Maybe was he the same guy that was mad that we weren't predicting the win situation four days out? <laughs> he probably was definitely that at least that genre of guy, if not the exact same guy uh, that's in the DNA there. Let's let's go real fast game by game with these ones. We've kind of talked about the high notes and Rams Packers to me was just a spot where Jared Goff honestly looked better than I would have thought. But for the most part, uh, the Rams really offensively didn't have enough. I think we've seen that too from some of the quotes from Sean McVay afterwards uh, saying basically the job's up for grabs now, even though they have this gigantic contract with Goff. Uh, the Packers, I thought, were competent enough where they were one of the better offenses in the league and a good offense can you know find holes in a bad uh, in a good defense, even, especially when Aaron Donald is as banged up as he was wearing like a military vest there, like a hurt locker vest to, to just get through the game. Uh, but I was, you know, relatively impressed by the Rams, despite, you know, them going down like that. And the Packers, I feel like you have to feel they have more momentum going to this game than the Bucks do. Yeah, I, don't, I just had this flashback of like how far the Rams have fallen, because this is still basically the same iteration of the Rams that in 2018 played that 54 to 51 game against the Chiefs. I believe that was like a Thursday night game and or Sunday. It was an island game. And 
it was like the game of the century as far as fantasy was concerned. I mean, like what happened to that Jared Goff? What happened to that version of the Rams offense that was like pushing the ball, using all the weapons, double tight end sets, four wide, just super fast. And now it's just like so neutered. Yeah, Cam Akers looks good. But when you commit to running the ball, like your offense's upside is just immediately capped like that. And uh, I don't know, they just seem totally broken to me. It's one of those things where maybe that's the Super Bowl loss kind of changed how they viewed things where there was now a recipe to beat them that New England brought to the table that uh, wasn't there before. And then that's it. And then Goff, you know, like I think Sean McVay got the most out of Jared Goff overall, probably in his career, a relative to any other coach would have gotten. And um, at a certain point, you know, the if people figure out how you're you're scheming to hide his weaknesses and then they know what those weaknesses are and can force you into them. I think that's what it is. And I think that's why, too, like he might just feel like, hey, I've probably coached as good as I can. They're also losing their defensive coordinator. He's going to the Chargers. Uh, so that could be a bit of an issue as well. But I think that's sort of it. It's just that like, hey, if, if you figure out this one thing and our and our QB isn't as good as we maybe hoped he could be, then you're just kind of screwed. And Sean McVay like probably just needs a mobile guy because then he could find some other wrinkle that they don't know how, they don't know how to exploit yet defensively. Yeah. Yeah, it does seem like the uh, the McVeigh Goff, um, you know, the bloom is off the rose uh, with those guys. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they go about this because now Goff starts to feel like a purgatory quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, can you ever win a Super Bowl anymore with Jared Goff? Probably not. I mean, this is like the best version of what you'd want, where the defense is so good and you have a good running game and some, you know, we've seen like the old Jacksonville Jags, right? With Blake Bortles. Well, they made it decently far with just a great running game and a really good defense. But if they can't do it with this team, like to me, you're now you're in purgatory or you're looking to blow it up and find that franchise QB. Another spot, uh, another, the next game that was on Saturday was the Ravens-Bills game. And uh, I, the Ravens, another team, too, who have kind of lost their identity, still uh, wanting to run a lot, still trying to run as much as they can. But when they don't get results on the ground and then Lamar has to pass, I mean, he left that game early with an injury, so you can't fully you know, knock him as much as you might want to. But I just thought that was a, a really, really ugly performance. And we kind of saw the worst of the Ravens where they're a kind of classic front runner team. If they're doing well, they can then squeeze the clock and, and squeeze the air out of the ball and just drive it downfield and do that. If they're not getting those results early and then you have to see Lamar pass, it just looks so bad for Baltimore. And um, I, I feel like they need to make a change, which is so sad because Lamar is so talented. I also think they've kind of killed his confidence by just limiting his exposure, limiting his deep throws. And now I think he's gotten worse as a passer, which is definitely not what you want from your young star QB. Yeah, uh, I know that was uh, that was disappointing there. Sorry, I was laughing because Nick was saying he wants uh, Cam Newton in L.A. <laughs> Uh, there for a little quarterback co- competition would be interesting. Uh, but sorry, we're talking about uh, Lamar, right? Yeah, yeah, Lamar and uh, just his general failings and possibly regressing, I feel like, over the season. Yeah, I mean, what a brutal uh, weekend for the star quarterbacks exiting with injuries and the back-breaking 103-yard pick six, too. And uh, I, I mostly avoided all of the uh, water cooler chatter online that was, you know, digging Lamar's grave. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not writing him off. I think that would, that would be silly, but I do think similar to what we're talking about with the Rams kind of falling from grace, seeing what they were capable of last year and wondering, you know, what happened, what are the things that need to be put around him to succeed? And I've heard, you know, people make excuses for, he needs more weapons and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, I mean, his weapons are pretty good. You know, Mark Andrews, uh, Marquise Brown, they add the rookie running back. They got the dynamic running game. So I don't know. I guess I don't really know what their fatal flaw is right now. I still think they're a team on the cusp, 
you know, just make a few tweaks and I think they can be right there, but you're also going to have to go through Mahomes, you know, every year for the next, however many years, which is also a daunting task. And now Josh Allen, which might be another one too. And I think to me, the thing is you bring in a, a QB guru. I know people have, I've seen a lot of Ravens fans being like, Hey, we need to sign Allen Robinson. I don't think you need to sign Allen Robinson. Like you have Marquise Brown. I think Miles Boykin probably be better than he actually is, but you need somebody who's going to refine some of the techniques that Lamar has. And, um, you know, Robinson, maybe he'll grab those, those wobbly duck balls. Lamar threw one really bad pick in that game against Buffalo that, that jumped out that Marquise Brown was like about two yards away from maybe Allen Robinson gets to that ball, but you're, you know, you're covering up warts rather than fixing the root of the problem. And I think to me, that's sort of the issue that, that Baltimore has moving forward. And uh, they might just be a, a little bit behind if they don't fix that pretty fast uh, tier behind the Kansas cities and Buffaloes of the world. Uh, the Sunday games, Pete, let's talk about these real fast. We talked enough about Browns chiefs, but I just feel like we have to, I, I want to salute the Browns for hanging in and somehow finding ways to, to nearly luck box multiple wins over and over again. Did you know that they were the only team in this round, Pete, that uh, actually got outscored all season long? They actually have more points against the points for. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's why, it, especially since they played some massive shootouts, but I guess they were on the bad end of some of those too. Yeah, it's just it's it's a team to me that I felt like got, you know, very lucky all year. And that's fine. You know, it's part of football and they do enough things well where, you know, that could be the case that, you know, just you win how you win. It doesn't matter. Maybe if they have Odell, things look a little bit better for them, too. So I you know I don't want to fully uh, crap on the Browns, but I just felt like they really didn't deserve that win. The Chiefs, I want to see out there. I think Darrell Williams, to me, I felt like looked more explosive than we've seen from Clyde Edwards Hilaire all year. Certainly more explosive than Le'Veon Bell. And maybe that's something that really plays in uh, in a major way for the Chiefs down the stretch. Yeah, that split, if we get CEH back for the AFC Championship, that's going to be really, really interesting. I mean, I, I think at the worst, Dar Darrell Williams has earned 50% of the work, and I could even see him getting 60 70% of it and have CEH kind of as the secondary back, just with how good he's looked. And CEH hasn't really ever impressed at any point in the season, the point of being like, yeah, he deserves all this work. So I think we will see more of a committee and. On the other hand, too, the Chiefs have shown a willingness to ride the hot hand. So I'm not ruling out Darrell Williams kind of being their feature back next week, even if CEH is back. And I think Tyreek and, and Travis Kelsey going to be two, obviously two weapons that are, I think, in a tier of their own. I do have to say this week, though, uh, coming up, we're obviously uh, we haven't done our full research yet. That's why we don't. We just do a very early preview here for the, the games coming up next week. And we'll dig deeper on Friday. But uh, to me, this is going to be a Travis Kelsey possible smash spot against Buffalo because you're going to see probably a lot of uh, Tredavious White on Tyreek Hill this week running out of the slot. And uh, Buffalo has been getting killed by tight ends all year long. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for Mark Andrews. But uh, I really think Travis Kelsey could be major. And, and really, Travis Kelsey, I, I think he's kind of been undersold as really the, the tight end du jour. Like, I think people in the past have compared him to Gronk and been like, oh, well, vintage Gronk is still better. I can't think of a tight end who is as much like a an elite, high-level, number one wide receiver who still gets separation. Like, he's not even a Michael Thomas tight end where he's catching contested balls. He's like five yards away from dudes over and over and over again. And I feel like that's such a weapon that there, we just don't see as many tight ends like that anymore for whatever reason. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I I'm trying to like picture in my head kind of, you know, the differences. The only thing is I feel like, and I'd actually like to see the date on it, but I feel like Gronk would be used down the field even a little bit further. You know, those deep seam routes that he would run where Kelsey, I feel like is a little shallower, but his yards after catch ability is incredible. He had that, you know, diving, flying into the end zone touchdown. And he is just so reliable, so good. You've, I don't know if you've seen the videos where he's said like, sometimes 
he turns on a route and the ball is already in the air. And he was saying like, there was no way for Mahomes. No, I was breaking that way. It was just an improv route. And they're in that kind of lockstep with their connection. So yeah, I think it's one of the better pairings in the league. And, um, you know, you, everyone always has a hard time untangling, you know, the player from the great quarterback, but I do think Kelsey has pretty firmly established himself as, as an incredible tight end. And you even saw it, Chad Henney came in and immediately connected with Kelsey for a big play too. So yeah, he's a special talent. It's also worth pointing out, Pete, like your, your eye test there is correct for Kelsey. He's averaging a uh, 5.8 yards after catch per reception. And the expectation according to next gen stats is 4.8. Uh, so that's actually a pretty big differential, which would be more than Stefan Diggs, um, more than some other guys. I mean, he's in the tier basically alongside, let me just pull this down a little bit. And it's here alongside guys like DeAndre Hopkins, actually Tyreek Hill also one yard above as expected yards after catch. So um, he's been making it move in a way, <laughs> making it move, uh, not, not on our genitals, but making the ball move downfield in a way that uh, that actually is uh, very impressive. And, and Pete, there you go. You don't even need to know the stats. You just see it with your eyes and bring it to life. Yeah, that's why I don't really look at the numbers. I just watch the tape and, you know, I'm kind of able to pick up everything that the numbers would show. Uh, I think this is a good point by Nick here. Could you see both the Chiefs and the Bills go to an almost completely pass-oriented office, uh, offense under 25 carries total? And that's what the Bills did this past week with Zach Moss out. I think um, they ended up running the ball six or seven times total. Uh, Josh Allen dropped back 44 times. So I could definitely see that. Um, I think the Chiefs will probably end up running a little bit more than the Bills. Uh, but yeah, I think that under 25 carries is probably a pretty good prop line there. I, I could definitely see the, the under hitting on that. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a surprise and it sort of went against what we normally know of DFS where, hey, you, you're losing the guy who's taking a lot of touches away in Zach Moss. Normally, you know, a guy like Singletary who's had a, I wouldn't say a bell cow workload, but a pretty big workload in the past. You Normally, it's a safe play to put that guy in and expect him to get results. And then they had no carries in the first half at all. And I think the thing with Buffalo too is because Josh Allen's able to get out of the pocket so often, like their pass plays are almost as safe as their run plays because they're getting out. He's either throwing it out of bounds or he's picking up a few yards or he's hitting digs or I mean, normally Beasley Beasley, another tough zero this week or John Brown. Like it basically is like they're running except that they're passing the ball and it sounds stupid, but like that's what more teams should probably be doing based on everything we know analytically. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I think, um, I you kind of want the bills to make a run in that, you know, whether they always say it's a copycat league and then look at their, you know, pass rate above expectation. And if we can get every team in the league, you know, throwing at the same clip, is the Bills, man, the uh, the fantasy product would be incredible in that universe of the NFL. Yeah, hopefully more teams take note here and uh, we'll see what happens in the offseason, though. Some of the coaching hires, we'll talk about that coming up, too. We have a fun little game we're going to play. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't get the music. I probably would have gotten us copyright strikes, so probably <laughs> for the best anyway. We're going to do a little head coach dating game for some of the, the hirings that have gone on so far coming up after we finish our, our little talk about the rest of these games. And the last game on the slate, which we've talked about enough for the most part, but Bucks Saints... Um, I really think that Leonard Fournette was more a recipient of volume Jones to me per carry. He had the better per carry average, but I feel like I test as well. I just looked a little more explosive even with his quad issues, but Fournette, you know, a safe guy out there. We've seen him be able to handle upwards of 30 touches in a lot of games for Jacksonville before. I think to me, that was just the difference is that uh, they were able to just run Fournette into the ground. New Orleans couldn't get anything going offensively. And, and that's the story here more. I think than Tom Brady in some sort of Renaissance or even him meaningfully outperforming Drew Brees. Look at this. What a flex by Justin Freeman here. The poor guy, his cash is, uh, you know, busting his rubber bands. It's crazy that DraftKings 
already got you that payout and you're already able to head down to your bank and convert that into $100,001 bills that cannot be contained by your weak ass rubber bands. Congratulations, Justin. We are happy to give you the splash play bump and we are also happy to receive the royalties on that. Our Venmos are in fact open. I guess, actually, that reminds me, I have to get your Venmo feed. I owe Pete <laughs> some money, not from us betting anything, but money from something else that I forgot to ask for. But good reminder there. And yeah, shout out, Justin. Justin was a great guest. We really, uh, Pete, so all credit goes to Pete. We some little behind the scenes thing that we don't talk about that much, but Pete books all of our guests and uh, you know normally tries to find guys who are going to fit the vibe in addition to bringing actual information that's going to hopefully be helpful for you guys. And uh, Justin was somebody I had seen that tweet go viral, wasn't the most familiar with. And now I'm a big Justin fan. I'm a big, I would buy in early. If, if Justin Freeman were on the jock market, Pete, <laughs> I'd buy in early on Justin Freeman. Yeah, no, well, we bought in on the ground floor right before he won the 100,000. So everyone else is having to pay peak prices. But, uh, you know, our, our early shares uh, have, you know, 10x. All right, if you're watching this video on YouTube, make sure you guys hit the like button and, and subscribe here. We want to get back over 500 subs one of these days. Who knows when it'll be at this point, but uh, we'll keep striving. So please do that. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, five stars and review help us out. And uh, moving forward, just keep your eyes peeled. This will probably be the normal time we do these streams on Mondays, barring anything uh, too weird. Fridays, so we have to be a little more flexible for our guests because we want to make sure to get you guys some good guests down the home stretch. But always watch at Splash Play Pod. We'll get a tweet out as soon as we have it booked and, and we'll give you guys some notice as to when we're going live. But let's do our little head coach dating game, Pete. I know uh, you're excited here. Do you do you remember the original dating game? Because I know I, it was before my time, but I always have a, a sort of awareness of these nostalgic things. Do you know the dating game and what the whole premise was? Um, I know just like the loose premise. I recognize the music. I've seen a few clips and get some of the references, but I do not have uh, an encyclopedic knowledge of the dating game. You, did, you don't have the whole box set on DVD? Oh, that's even, <laughs> even that's kind of outdated. Uh, no, I haven't. No. I haven't made that purchase, but, uh, you know, once Corona's over, I do plan to go garage sailing, you know, looking for those, uh, in the bins <laughs> at, uh, maybe Goodwill. So yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. So the whole premise of the dating game, if you're a younger person out there, they're not familiar, basically there would be a, a hidden person behind the door. It seems very strange now to talk about it in hindsight, though, honestly, probably a good reboot for, for Fox or whomever just wants to fill some programming time. Basically they would set up dates with people on the show and there'd be three different contestants and then they'd all be behind a door giving some details about them. Like this guy's an accountant. And then he would give some sort of sassy remark that uh, always kind of crude too, especially for the time, always vaguely sexual, but that we're not going to have that here. We're just going to give you guys general thoughts about a head coach. A one line description is what I put in here of each uh, head coach who's been hired over the past week. And Pete can tell me how he feels about them. Some of them you'll be able to guess right away, Pete. Some of them you might not be able to. But here's the first one behind door number one. This defensive coordinator with no head coaching experience led a defense that was tops in the league last year as a championship contender, but he faltered massively during an injury riddled season. Uh, Pete, does this sound like a hire you'd be intrigued by? And if you want to guess who the hire is, please go ahead. The defensive coordinator with no head led a defense that was tops in the league. And by last year, you mean this year? Uh, the season before this one. Oh, season before that. Okay. Um, God, I'm going to be so bad at these. Like my, I mean, me with coaches and defenses is just an absolute, uh, disaster. Do you want to give me another clue? Um, he was highly recruited. A lot of teams were interviewing him. There were reports. I don't know if he actually was just doing a normal process, but there were a oh. lot of media reports about every team interviewing him. Okay. Now, um, it, 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 I'll let Nick phone a friend here. Is it Robert Salat? 
It is Robert Salah. The, the okay. Lions wanted him bad. The Jets got him. And uh, I'll, let's get our thoughts into while we go door by door here. I actually think it's a pretty good hire. Like if you're going to hire, if you're going to bring back Sam Darnold, which seems like the Jets are going to do, uh, put him in a spot to succeed. Put him in a spot with a, you know, a guy he's bringing the passing game coordinator from San Francisco as well to be his OC, um, who is Matt LaFleur's younger brother. Like, I think to me, this is a spot that I, I agree with the hire. I think he was maybe a little bit overvalued, but um, the defense has to win games from defense and running. And if you're going to have a quarterback who you don't believe in, I think Salah's a pretty good hire. So door number one, I think appealing to me, Pete. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, I think he's pretty solid. Uh, just learn about him uh, right now, and uh, I think he's got a great future in this league. <laughs> the, the, the Niners were a very good defense last year, uh, in yeah. part the way they approached things. They they basically ran, you know, the cornerbacks cover their side of the field, and the Jets don't have those horses. Richard Sherman, for all the crap he may get about being old, uh, the Niners defense really hinged on him being good, and this year he was hurt, wasn't quite as good. Uh, but we'll see what he, do is, what he does with the Jets, but I think culture change-wise, uh, this hire be one that I would approve of. But Pete, let's go to door number two. This former college... College coach is once a hot target, a hot target for college and the pros. But after health issues and shady dealings forced him out of his last two jobs, he now I actually didn't finish the sentence here. He now ends up as a head coach in the NFL for the first time. Uh, Pete, does door number two intrigue you and who might it be? Could this be a man who now gets to coach LaVisca Chenault in <laughs> Jacksonville? It may in fact be, as long as he doesn't, his heart doesn't collapse before then, uh, out of all the love that you would imbue on, on Visca. Yeah, I got this one. I mean, I believe that was the selling point. It's not, you know, the top overall pick. It is getting to go and coach <laughs> LaVisca Chenault. So yeah, I, I think, I feel like anecdotally, the, you know, the coach jumps to the NFL have been hit or miss, even across other sports too. I know in the NBA, some of the college coaches coming up have not been too successful, but um, based on what I've heard, people seem pretty enthused about what Urban Meyer could do with this team. Yeah, it's a marquee hire for a team that's not a marquee team. And I think there are certainly some questions that, you know, about character and all that and the health and the fact that he's sort of uh, maybe hid behind health to leave a few jobs there. Uh, but still, you know, I think uh, an interesting hire here, a guy who's been able to to make QBs look good and they're going to have a shot with the best QB in the league. I mean, also kind of a classic front runner move. Like if you are going to go from college to the pros, getting the number one pick and, and probably Trevor Lawrence as well as we talked about with Jacksonville, like a pretty stock skill position group, like Urban's actually ready to go i think from day one yeah no i i think uh i think it's interesting i mean what jacksonville uh from where is it gainesville that can't be a far drive you know he's got ohio to state too in between uh, oh yeah my bad uh, i forgot <laughs> he did the due tour it's it's a return home this is a homecoming chris this is a homecoming <laughs> that's your the i'm coming home song playing for urban meyer i'm sure and many uh spirited vignettes door number three pete this defensive coordinator led this year's top defense with numerous max contract stars under a beloved boy genius head coach but he'll now helm a team with a young qb who's more in need of tutelage who do you think is behind door number three um god this was we did, mentioned this already the on the show. We did? Yeah, earlier. It, I did. But did was it is it Brandon Staley? It is Brandon Staley. Okay, yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. Another Sean McVee prod uh, Sean McVay prodigy getting the the bump up here and I, you know, honestly, I get it that your defense should have been better than it was. I would have gone with a more of a QB guru type, but, um, you know, a young guy, I feel like I, I can't really, I don't really have a read on this hire. I think he was definitely carried though, by having, if you have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and you're not a top five defense, I think you're clearly incompetent. Yeah, that's, uh, that's another one of those. I have no idea how to untangle 
that, uh, you know, off the top of my head, I sure heard about Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey way more than I ever heard about Brandon Staley being some, you know, master schemer. Uh, but that's, that's, uh, just pure hearsay. So good luck to him. You know, (laughs) hopefully he can find another Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey to make him look good. And he'll have, a, he'll have a Bosa there for him. So he's got one interesting defensive weapon to hopefully get to the heights there. Uh, this other door number four, this one's a fun one. This tight ends coach turned offensive coordinator might be one of the best cases of nepotism with a billionaire father, but he's yielded decent results in his current stop, including revitalizing a trash bin QB's career. Pete, who's behind door number four? Who's this sexy bachelor behind door number four in our head coach dating game? God, I should know this. A billionaire father. Mm-hmm. Um, you of a fortune 10 or 20 company, man, I feel like I should know this. Tell me who the QB is. Uh, it's Tannehill. Tannehill. Oh, okay. And this isn't, oh, Vrabel. No, it's Arthur Smith who is oh, going Arthur to Smith going to the Falcons. Yeah. Yeah. God, of course. All right. Yeah. So that's, uh, the hope there. I mean, a much better QB one could argue and Matt Ryan, or I think one should argue a much better QB than Ryan Tannehill was coming in, but yeah, his dad's the, the, I think the CEO or the founder of FedEx, one of the two. Yeah. So he's, yeah, he's killing it. It'd be good for him, man. Good for him. I'm, you know, he should take, um, he should take a pay cut and, you know, just get paid a dollar and uh allow the team to use that on other resources that's i think the right thing to do yeah what would tom brady do exactly that but a, a nice hire here who hopefully will you know i think at least not have a team that beats itself i think that's one thing he showed he could do in tennessee this one pete uh door number five is going i'll say right now my least favorite door out of all of them um given that i know all the bachelors behind them this former player turned interim head coach went five and seven during his interim stint and he's been targeted in numerous coaching sessions or coaching searches by mostly incompetent teams thanks to serving as a tight ends coach over the last few years for a much respected head coach uh pete do you know who door number five is so five and seven 12 games so mm-hmm. he took over in like week five yeah i think a team that was actually might have been on hard knocks that year if i'm remembering correctly okay um god i'm so bad with this <laughs> I mean, coaches, for what it's worth, like, you know, we do talk a lot about there being noisy things and, and coaches can be noisy, but I, I find a little more value than I think you might in like sort of trying to project them because especially with offensive coaches, you kind of get a read on what the offense is going to be most of the time, at least. Yeah. I need another clue. Um, he was, again, he was a tight end as well as being a tight ends coach. And, uh, he, his team, one of the, the team that he coached for was eliminated yesterday. Okay. Uh, oh, um, it's not a, it's not, no, Stefanski. I, I hate this game. <laughs> it's uh, Dan Campbell, who is going to the Lions, uh, an awful hire, really. He was uh, also in the hunt for the Browns coaching job. Uh, he was the interim for Miami on a year where it was clearly not his coaching leading them to anything like a very much PETA, a CEO type uh, at head coach who doesn't seem to actually know much and has kind of just gotten jobs because he was a former player. <laughs> I'm now looking at photos of this dude. Um, total meathead <laughs> he is he's he's a tight end meathead and that was sort of what he did in miami too like his the reason he had results was just being uh, i wouldn't even say like a coach o of, of lsu meathead just like a a general straight up like oh we're gonna hit some guys yeah like that is great great <laughs> forearms though that's that's tight ends forearms yeah i'm gonna have to ask laird about him uh if they overlapped at all he seems uh like quite the hardo 
he he is. I think I think that's one that you could say about him. And now he's going to Detroit, a team that probably needs somebody with actual X's and O's and actual strategy. But instead, that's who they hired. I think the Lions, uh, to me, perennially so disappointing in what they do in every single choice. Yeah, they yeah they need they need like a full burn it all down, start from the ground up. Just keep DeAndre Swift and uh, get rid of everyone else. Even you, Kenny Galladay, and your Brazilian butt dancing. <laughs> your delicate graham cracker <laughs> hips getting ground on one time, and then you can't play for the whole year. Uh, door number six, our final door here in the head coach dating game. This offensive coordinator has some interviews scheduled, but he's yet to receive an offer for completely baffling, Pete, this is a clue here, completely baffling reasons, uh, <laughs> despite leading a title-winning offense whose ballsy play calling was recently wildly applauded. Pete, who do you think's behind door number six? and uh, just jerking himself off as nobody wants to pick him in the head coach dating game. Wait, this isn't Stefanski, is it? No, uh, no, because he's he's already hired. Okay, somebody. yeah, all right. This, sorry, this is the offensive coordinator has some interviews scheduled. Despite leading a title-winning offense, is this the Chiefs OC? Yep, Eric B. Enemy. Oh, yeah. yeah. The completely baffling reasons, maybe something to do with skin tone, maybe something to do with other reasons that, uh, who knows? But yeah, he's he's still out there. Might get the Texans job, I guess, as an effort to for them to maybe try to placate Deshaun Watson. Um, that's something we should all talk about too. But uh, yeah, Bienemy, uh, not looking at, like he'll be a sure thing to get hired anywhere, uh, despite the fact that uh, yeah, he's. He, I feel bad for him, like because that call yesterday, I'm sure it was an Andy Reid helmed one, but Bienemy's still the one like mostly calling plays and has a seat at the table, and they just won't give him a shot. I know. And did you see when Tyreek Hill shoved the coach at the end? Everyone thought it was yeah. the enemy there for a second. But then did we ever get like the fallout from that as far as because then that coach was kind of smiling and laughing? Was it like a legitimate beef push or was it like a playful shove? It was a playful shove because I think what they had said on the broadcast, like, oh, it looked bad. And then they went back and they're like, oh, then they showed something afterwards. And it was like that Tyreek was open or, or thought he was open enough to get a touchdown and basically was just like playfully shoving because he could have scored. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. with Tyreek Hill, I don't think he has earned know. himself the benefit of the doubt with that one. So maybe figure out another way to razz your coach, Tyreek. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. He did at least he didn't break his arm. I think that's another thing that Tyreek occasionally dabbles in. Uh, but yeah, definitely uh, the enemy to me. Just one dude. I, I don't know how you don't take the stab here and will take stab on guys like Dan Campbell. But that's just me as a casual observer. I don't have the the full uh, read of a savvy GM as many of these NFL guys are. Pete, you know all these guys now though. You've you've heard the one liner descriptions for him. If you were a team, if you were a GM hiring here, who would have been the coach you would have picked out of all these guys? Yeah, you know, my heart wants to say, oh, so which situation do I like the most or which just kind of pure resume do I so like? So the one we like the most is Jacksonville, I think. So like, yeah. let's say it's Jacksonville. Yeah. So which coach would I have liked to see go there? I definitely prefer the offensive-minded guys versus the defensive-minded uh, I think I would go with the enemy. Um, you know, I assume he's learned a lot under Andy Reid, has probably learned a lot with the type of things you can do with Mahomes. So I would be curious to see what he could do with his own offense.
Yeah, I think to me, like Jacksonville, I get why they'd go with Urban. I think it would, to me, it'd be either Urban, uh, Urban Meyer, or going to Eric Bieniemy. But Bieniemy to me, I just I, I, I'm going to be very annoyed. And you know, I granted, I, I I do end up a little more on the woke side of things with this stuff. Where you know, uh, Arthur Smith, I think a talented coach, but when you've gotten a lot of quality control jobs, you probably shouldn't have gotten. You know, it's sort of a pathway that's a little unfair for a guy like Bieniemy, who's actually on an amazing team and a key part of designing the offense for them. Uh, but we'll see how that works out. And now it's time, Pete, for some stat shaming. We got divisional round stat shaming, and then we'll close out with our too early championship preview. But uh, it's time to ask, do these plays get unsustainable numbers, or do we consider them beautiful and a healthy way to touch us? And the first one up, Pete, a guy who uh, spat in the face of your pal Pat's Rojo, Leonard Fournette, 17 carries for 63 yards, five catches for 44 yards, and one touchdown on six targets. So, Pete, I'll ask you, would you stat shame Leonard Fournette for this fine, uh, moving on to the NFC Championship level performance? Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking for excuses to stat shame Leonard Fournette. I will never give him any credit and I will say that you know Ronald Jones was coming off of the injury he didn't practice much at all this week it was uncertain how much work he was going to get um and so yeah Lenny Lenny got a few extra plays this week with uh with Rojo banged up so yes I will stand I will shame Leonard Fournette today and until the end of time I will say for Fournette, you know, he's a guy who's, I think, built to have that kind of that kind of pressure on him. He's meant to carry a ball 20 to 25 times and whether he's going to get results or not. I think that's just sort of the dude he is. So I will say Leonard Fournette should have this role somewhere next year. I don't know if it's going to be for Tampa Bay or not, uh, but I, I like Leonard Fournette at this look like I, he just shouldn't be a 10 carry guy because he's one that just has to get the volume to have any sort of effectiveness over time. So I won't stat shame him here and I want to see him get this work every week. One guy I will stat shame though, Trey Quan Smith, three catches, 85 yards and two touchdowns on three targets benefiting from that Jameis sneak play we talked about. And Pete, to me, Trey Quan Smith can't do this every week because A, just the numbers are off the chain completely coming off of an injury too. I'm happy to see it for him. It's nice to see him have that performance in a game where you can't blame him for that loss at all. But Trey Quan's just not this dude to me. And I feel like he always shows these flashes of it, but week to week, he's just never going to be that guy, at least in this current situation. Yeah, Traquan is that guy who I feel like has always, when you're looking for pump play wide receivers in DFS, he always looks kind of sexy because you're like, oh, you're getting the Saints. You know, you got Drew Brees attached to him, people putting attention on the other guys, and he just burns you time after time after time. But he's uh, he's still capable every now and again of catching a trick play bomb from Jameis Winston. So yeah, I think he is a, a stat shaming poster boy for, you know, the three catches on two targets. I guess last week we had the Deontay Harris, you know, had his big game running only 14 routes. So uh, these Saints wide receivers, they like to come and go. But uh, I was going to try to do something like, but Michael Thomas is forever. And I was like, well, I don't think he is. So (laughs) speaking of that, he is the last man up in our stat shaming going the inverse way. Normally it's, we stat shame people for being so productive for having so much on the table that they took off. Michael Thomas, the exact inverse zero catches for zero yards on four targets. And here's where I'm going to stat shame. Michael Thomas. This is like the equivalent of you have, you're going to the Met Gala, you're going to the Oscars, you're going to the biggest award show you can. And you dress like Pete and I do for an episode a splash play and you're just wearing I'm wearing joggers right now even though this this uh, my new look I'm trying to go with a quarter zip so I feel like I'm more sophisticated we'll give you my analysis but uh, for me this is what Michael Thomas is just a dude who dresses like we do every day when doing streams and and he could be so much better he should have one of those those peacock style gowns with all the colors all the tail feathers popping off and instead this is what we have now uh, easily guarded Mike on Twitter I just I'm so mad at him not only for the financial repercussions that were uh, wreaked 
upon my my lineups, but just you you have this amazing talent and you can't catch a single ball. It's embarrassing. Yeah, and there were a couple, like, yeah, he was guarded, but he also had a couple bad drops. Like one of those was a really nice throw that he just, you know, missed. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe Breeze got a little spooked. He's like, hey, can't guard Mike. You can guard him. You're dropping balls. I'm going away from you. But yeah, extremely bizarre too, because the whole narrative was, you know, he was banged up early in the season coming back. And then it was like, even Nick Underhill and the beat reporters for New Orleans are like, they were saving him. He's fully healthy. They're ready to unleash him for the playoffs. And it's like, no, that clearly wasn't the case or whatever he thought he was able to do. He definitely wasn't. Yeah, maybe it's health. Maybe he gets better in the offseason. Um, and Nick also in chat asking who's the QB in New Orleans next year. We gave that pick earlier in the show, but um, I think the official pick that I would give, I, I just I find it hard to believe you're going to look at Jameis and not go Jameis. So that's what I'll go on the record and say it'll be Jameis next year. Yeah, I, I like the Jameis call. I hope they give him a crack. All right, and let's do a real quick look here. Next week's games, Tampa Bay, 23.8 implied points at Green Bay, 27.3 implied points. Certainly going to be one to watch the weather in right now, a 51 point over under. But Pete, again, knowing we haven't dug in at all, knowing that we barely know the prices in DFS and all that, but how do you feel like this game goes before we dig in deeper later in the week? Yeah, I mean, obviously we have to. The big news is going to be the, you, you, we're doing Chiefs, right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah no, the, the Tampa Bay and Green Bay. Oh, Tampa Bay and Green Bay. See, I my whole thing is I've been I think the Bucks are fraudulent. I think they they have lucked into a couple really nice spots here. You know, the getting the Washington football team who that whole NFC East was just begging each other to make it to the playoffs. And then you get the lame duck New Orleans Saints here at home. And uh, you know, they didn't have now is it I don't want to go on a tangent here, but was Taysom Hill like a bigger part? of their um, dynamics than maybe we wanted to give credit as much as fantasy players tilt them like that kind of um, dynamic ability to, I don't know, make their offense less predictable. Maybe, maybe they did miss Taysom Hill. Well, that was something that they talked about in the broadcast too. I think it might've been in the pregame where they showed Taysom Hill on the bench and was like, and I forget who it was, but somebody said like, yeah, the, the team is talking about how they're going to miss him. And because like, you know, he brings this fiery approach and like, and it's true. Like, even if he does like on that Jameis play, I saw, I think actually might've been my old pal, big cat at Barstool joking about how uh, like, oh, you love that Jameis throw, but you would have loved the Taysom Hill four yard tuck and run if you were in there. And it's like, yeah, it's true. He probably would not have made the same play, but also like you see a QB running and trying to get yards and you, you fire up a little when you see him take that hit and take the blow and pop right back up. So maybe there is sort of a psychology thing to it. I think you're, you're not fault like totally far off there. Yeah. So I don't know. I still want to continue to bet against this bucks team. I think it's going to be a pretty tough spot there on the road in Lambeau. And I think, I think the Packers look good. They look resilient. They look like they can win games different ways. You know, if they want to commit to the run, they got a nice stable of backs to do that. They obviously have Devonte Adams. Um, I, I think they're I think they're ready to go to the Super Bowl. I think we're gonna get that Chiefs uh Green Bay Super Bowl we want, provided Mahomes is healthy. Yeah, as terrified as I may be for us both to be on the same thing going in, I do think Green Bay is the better team. I also think uh, what we talked about with Tampa Bay secondary, you know, for whatever New Orleans didn't take advantage of yesterday, I do think that Devontae Adams in particular is going to take a lot of advantage of outside. Um, also, you know, honestly, Lazard, Valdez, Scanlon, Lazard looking better too is going to be a big part of opening up that offense downfield. I think Green Bay is going to throw all over him. So yeah, I think Green Bay goes to the Super Bowl. And then the last game here to determine our AFC champion, Buffalo getting 25. 5.5 implied points. Kansas City, 28.5 implied points. Over under a 54 in this one. Pete, who makes it into the AFC title game for you? Or into, from the AFC title game, rather, of course. 
Yeah, I um, you know, it, it all comes down to Mahomes. If Mahomes is healthy, I, I do think the Chiefs are just very, very tough to be at home. Um, whereas if if he doesn't go, I do think the Bills can definitely get it done against Chad Haney. So these lines right now are kind of kind of interesting. I guess would you say it's kind of like a hedge line where it's kind of like in between as opposed to making an assumption he plays one way or the other? See, I think so. I, I feel like maybe the thing is like, what would it be like four and a half against Buffalo? If Mahomes were in like that feels, I think maybe the total would be a bit higher if he were in, like, I think both sides would come up a little because of just, you know, Mahomes is going to score more early and then maybe they get like three more points on each side or, or two more points on each side. But I, I agree. It's a hedge in some respect, but I don't think it's a hedge in terms of the actual point spread. Like I feel like three points feels about right to me favoring Kansas city. I want to look up what it was. Okay, yeah, this was what I was trying to see, what it was when they played earlier in the season. Kansas City was a five-and-a-half-point road favorite in week oh. six. So obviously, we didn't have like the context of like what this Bills team fully became at that point, but normally home is worth three points, so that would make them like eight-and-a-half points if it was the week six edition. Obviously, the Bills have earned a little bit, throwing the Mahomes uncertainty it does feel a little bit more like a hedge where I think it would be KC like minus five or six if he was fully healthy. But I think with the whole year of Buffalo, I feel like four and a half maybe if they were like totally confident. But yeah, you're right. It might be like a, a little bit of a hedge. Nick is saying it's three and a half in most spots. I, I pulled this before the show and I had three from the spot I usually pull from. So I don't know. But either way, yeah, I think it's a fair point that it might be a little bit more. Uh, Buffalo certainly proved enough to me throughout the year. Uh, man, I think I would take a Buffalo cover but I still feel like if Kansas City has Mahomes, I just don't know that there's a team that beats them. And, and the Mahomes, you know, Rogers showdown for the Super Bowl just to me feels right. I won't be surprised either way. But right now, I think I would take Kansas City to win this one. Yeah, I, I think that's the the safe bet. I was also curious if there might comparing. So the over under right now is at 54. Uh, back in week six, the over under was 55 and a half. Um, I think if you do think Mahomes is going to play, there might be a little value in that over there at 54. Yeah, would the, would the Bills move to a favor on the books without Mahomes? I think that's also possible. I think the Bills also might be um, closer to a favorite or at least, you know, probably a closer to a pick them if they were actually the home team in this one. Uh, so we'll see here. I, Mahomes, the expectation, it does seem uh, like he'll be in there. But I, I'm excited to see Josh Allen to spot as somebody who was like so early on and the people used to make fun of me liking him as rookie here, liking the fantasy upside. I want to see Josh Allen come through here like it would be. I don't know, Pete, if you have a rooting interest here, but it's a close this out. Who do you want to root for in this game? It's hard to root against Patrick Mahomes, but but Josh Allen and Diggs, I, they might be my favorite duo in the league really all year long. Yeah, honestly, I feel like um, I'm free rolling it a bit because just Mahomes in the Super Bowl is obviously just so fun to get, you know, the best player in the world in the biggest game. But the Bills are one of the most fun fantasy offenses. I love that they don't run. I love their skill position players with Diggs and Allen and, and Smokey Brown. So I would love to see them. Uh, and I think it's a cool story. So honestly, I'm, I'm okay with either. And I know that both of them will put up a ton of points in the Super Bowl, which is all I care about. Yeah, that's that's the main thing. We're going to have a fun AFC championship game. We appreciate all you guys for coming out here, uh, watching either live or after the fact. You know, we we know with the live times, it can be tough, but we want to make sure that we're we're showing our love for you guys here, helping us down the home stretch, keep some momentum going. And we'll be back on Friday uh, scheduled to have Sal Vetri, So hopefully that'll come through. Pete, any plugs for you, you want to hit on? Of course, besides everybody already follows you at Peter Overzet, but if they're not doing that, they should be. 
yeah, if you want more lineup specific in the weed stuff, I went through a couple of my lineups in the spy contest from the weekend. If you'd like to see that, that's up on my uh, YouTube channel from this morning. All right, and we'll be back Friday. Check me out at Chris Spaggs. I've got a ton of NBA shows coming up for Osmo this week. So uh, if you want to tilt NBA alongside with me, or hopefully uh, it's been running good for me, so hopefully keep running good, uh, do that. And we'll be back with you guys on Friday. So enjoy your weeks, and we'll see you guys again soon. (laughs) 